thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food reel with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. Hi team and welcome back to another episode of The Real Food Reel. Today on the show we are joined by Dietitian Cassie from dietitiancassie.com. Cassie is a registered licensed dietitian, um, breaking the mold and definitely stepping away from the conventional nutrition space. We're very excited to hear her story today. So welcome to the show, Cassie. Thanks, Steph. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, excellent. I'd love for you to set the scene for us with a little bit of your background and certainly your personal story to um, where you got to where you are today. Definitely. Well, I find that so many people feel frazzled and diffused because they've tried everything they can to feel good and lose weight and nothing seems to work. So they believe there's something wrong with them. And I can relate to that. I know exactly what that feels like because that used to be me. Um, For me, it was so discouraging because in dietitian school, when I was studying weight loss and following all of the dieting rules, instead of losing weight, which I was trying to do at the time, all I was losing was self-worth and self-confidence and feeling more and more defeated and like a failure and I was gaining weight in the process and it was just incredibly discouraging and feeling that way is something that actually started when I was a younger girl. Um, When I was a little girl, I really had a um, huge sweet tooth. My family called me Cookie Monster and the kids at school actually called me Garbage Disposal and I always laughed along with them but it really stung and it became part of my identity. So that feeling of um, being defeated around food and losing my self-worth around sugar was really familiar to me and just being in dietitian school was so discouraging when I was supposed to be figuring all of this out and I just couldn't do it. So that was a huge light bulb moment for me. And then then what happened next when I was in school is things got more serious when um, what happened to my father is he had to have immediate unexpected major heart surgery and he had been following all the same dieting rules that I was. He was fit and healthy and he was even running a race when he experienced chest tightness and then he ended up in the hospital. So something just wasn't adding up. Doctors and dietitians told him to maintain his low-calorie, low-fat diet, and that's really when I got angry. You know, I was like, his low-fat, low-calorie diet is what landed him here on your operating table. And then that's actually when I realized that, um, you know, the whole dietitian industry is actually funded by the food industry. And I was like, this whole system is just backwards. So stuff, I got really mad and I decided it was time to take matters into my own hands. And that's when I became determined to figure it out on my own. So that's that's really when I started really diving into the research and trying to, you know, connect the dots and put the pieces together and um, be my own detective because I had to become my own advocate so I could be my dad's advocate, too. And everything I was finding challenged everything I ever knew to be true about nutrition. And I realized there were some missing pieces of the puzzle. I kind of felt like um, my little girl self who always liked to help kids in the classroom figure things out together. And I was trying to connect the dots and put the pieces together and really find out, you know, what, what was what was going on in my life and my dad's life. And I realized that um, a lot of things that we were being taught in dietitian school, we actually need to do the opposite of in order to, you know, be our best, healthiest selves. And 
and especially in order for weight loss to happen. Um, it's not uncommon that I'm the first dietitian people here say that weight loss isn't just about food and exercise. We have to see the full picture and look at things like hormonal imbalance, thyroid function, gut health, sleep, stress, and all sorts of other things. So really, that's that's where um, that's how I got to be where I am now as a registered dietitian. I created a proprietary process that teaches people how to lose weight and keep it off so they can move from a place of feeling defeated to really taking control and owning their life and being who they want to be. So we help them identify their missing puzzle pieces, the real reasons for their stubborn weight loss, and guide them through a step-by-step process to addressing those factors and helping put them back together. Yeah, so exciting. So we know your approach is obviously considered unconventional. So how did you break the mold and why? Well, yeah, what I practice and preach and know to be true now is so much different than what I was taught in dietitian school. Um, It's really because of my personal story. And when I was digging into the research, finding that weight loss and metabolism, it's not just about food and calories in and calories out like we've been taught for so long. Um, And because I actually, you know, struggled with a a sweet tooth and battled uh, sugar addiction was part of part of my story is I I can't count the number of times I tried to start clean and do a sugar detox and I would just wind up in the same place in a mere number of days. And every time I'd be so mad at myself for being too weak to control it, you know, breaking my promises and not being able to stick to my decisions. And there was a point where I thought I was just flawed. There was just something wrong with me. And years later, I realized that I had what I now know as sugar addiction. And a lot of people don't realize that sugar has the same effect on the brain as cocaine and that sugar sensitivity is real. So because of my personal story, that's really where I got this deep passion for helping people unlock, you know, some of these, these pieces, these hidden barriers to becoming their fittest, um, most energetic self. And you use the word unconventional stuff. And, you know, my approach is indeed unconventional and that I challenge a lot of what we may know as, as truth. And the reason for that is because these supposed truths never worked for me and haven't worked for our clients. And frankly, a lot of them conflict with what the research studies are actually reporting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that you know, it continues to be a frustration for us that work in the nutrition space, but definitely a massive source of confusion for people that are trying to figure out what they need to do. Exactly, exactly. We're just taught so, for so long, we've been told, you know, to eat the low fat, low calorie diet. And when I quit doing that, um, that's really when that's when I was able to fit into my favorite pair of skinny jeans again. And that's when my energy levels went up. And, you know, to my surprise, I stopped being consumed with thoughts of food and sugar once I stopped following this diet that we were being taught was actually healthy for us. And it's really not. And when you think about it, it makes sense. I mean, when you're depriving your body of what it needs, it's not going to work for you. And that's why when people follow these restrictive diets, you know, their metabolism actually slows down to try to compensate for the energy, the nutrients, the calories that they're not getting because they're, you know, essentially starving themselves. And that's why we feel awful and it's hard to focus and our energy levels are low when we're dieting. So when we really think about it, it doesn't really make sense to be restricting and depriving our body of the energy that it needs, but it's just been so ingrained in our heads for so long that it can take a lot of what I call unbrainwashing to actually, you know, get out of that vicious cycle. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the calorie fallacy is a huge trap that thousands and thousands, if not more, have um, fallen into, unfortunately. And it is really, really hard to undo all those years of being told that this was the one way that, you know, you had to follow to achieve those goals. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's probably one of the greatest myths that we've been told by dietitians even is that, you know, it's our fault for gaining weight or being fat because we're eating too many calories or we're not burning enough of them. And that's flat out not true. That whole calorie myth, you know, when you're on a quest to boost metabolism and feel great or if losing weight is a goal, counting calories is really the last thing that you want to be doing. I always tell our clients that calories are energy that fuel our bodies and help them run just like gasoline fuel our cars. And you wouldn't expect your car to run better if you take away the gas. So why do we expect our bodies to work better when we deprive them of calories? That's why restricting calories for weight loss just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, Because like I mentioned, your body fights back and actually slows down your metabolism to conserve energy. Um, So the opposite is true, though. That's the exciting part is when you fuel your body with what it needs, good proteins, healthy fats, real food carbohydrates, um, like fruits and vegetables, your body's going to work for you. And that's when you feel satisfied and your metabolism is boosted. And if weight loss is a goal, that's when weight loss happens naturally without without fighting against your body. Your body actually works for you. So I always tell people to remember that eating fewer calories causes your body to burn fewer calories. And that's what, that's when you feel terrible. And when you eat more, as long as they're the right kinds, your body is able to burn more. And that's when you feel great. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, obviously it's not about calories or just food on its own. So what do you think um, are the things that we've been missing over the decades of this calorie fallacy? I think there are quite a few, and I actually outline them in my best-selling book called Why Am I Still Fat? The Hidden Keys to Unlocking Your Stubborn Weight Loss. But I think a few that I'd want to touch on today would be um, probably stress, sleep, and supplements just for a short time here today. I find that those three, those three S's, I guess you could call them, stress, sleep, and supplements are really, really overlooked. Um, and I think, you know, when it, when it comes to um, stress, I mean, everyone is stressed out. Out in this day and age. And, you know, you ask people how they're doing and, and they're busy and they're stressed out. But I think what people don't realize is that there's this hormone called cortisol and it's known as your stress hormone. And it's triggered in response to, to stress. And the cortisol regulates your fight or flight response. And it exists as a survival mechanism. It's triggered when you're in danger and it's really meant to be released in small doses for short lengths of time. Um, and it really serves its purpose when you need to kick into high gear by increasing your blood sugars. So you can thank cortisol for that surge of energy you get when you're being chased by a tiger. But the problem is, you know, we're stressed out. So many of us are stressed out every day and like on an ongoing basis that we're releasing this cortisol. And what happens is when cortisol causes your blood sugar levels to rise, that means anytime you're stressed out, you have elevated blood sugars, which is pretty much the same thing as eating high amounts of sugary foods all day long. And then what that what happens then is that causes insulin, your fat storing hormone, to come out to do its job of transporting sugar to your bloodstream from your bloodstream to your cells to be stored as fat. So that's kind of a lot of um, a lot of sciencey talk there. But basically, what happens when you're stressed out is you can gain weight, you can pack on pounds without even eating any differently. You can gain weight, you know, when you're stressed, independent of your nutrition without eating any more, any less, or any differently. And I think a lot of people don't even realize that. And and then on top of that, you think about how when we're stressed out, we tend to reach for energy drinks and sugary foods. And we, we just can't, we can't make decisions as well when our brains are under stress. Um, and a lot of us just brush stress off like it's no big deal. 
And this topic actually hits pretty close to, to home for me too, because um, I can be an overachiever and a hard worker. And it's really hard for me to implement balance in my own life. It's something that I'm continually working on. But I think when we really look at how it affects, you know, how that stress response affects um, everything in your body, including your weight, it can sometimes be a bigger motivator to get that under control. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But also for some people, it can be you know, a massive epiphany to finally be taught that they need to take this holistic view and that those lifestyle strategies are a really big, important part of the puzzle. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, stress management strategies, when we talk about those, um, they're, you know, they're not rocket science. Those can be things like, you know, journaling, meditating, praying, walking, just taking some time for yourself. So I do want to mention that, you know, stress management strategies, it's whatever works for you, but it really is important to be working those, you know, working those into your life and every single day. So I mentioned sleep as well. And I think this is another one that we all know we should probably get around eight hours of sleep a night, but most of us will sacrifice sleep for other things um, like exercise or work or or maybe we just can't fall asleep at night as we've got the TV on or the computer on. But really, I mean, what you what you do in bed matters when it comes to keeping your metabolism boosted, your energy levels up, you know, both sleep quantity and quality are really, really crucial. And sleep is connected to how we eat, what we eat, how we feel. It even controls hormones that impact your metabolism and um, whether you're burning fat or storing fat. And with our clients, so often we see one-on-one clients who seem to be eating all the right foods at all the right times, but they're sleeping terribly, if at all, or they're sleeping really well, but they're only clocking in, you know, five or six hours a night. Or something that I did for way too many years is I was sacrificing sleep for exercise when I was back in that calories in, calories out mindset for controlling my weight. And that really messes up your hormonal balance, which is critical for energy and feeling great and weight loss. Um, so it really, you know, sleep, sleep is so important for so many reasons. And if energy and metabolism staying revved up is a goal of yours, sleep really needs to be a top priority. And most people need between seven and nine hours of sleep a night. So we tell our clients, you know, you want to make sure you're getting eight hours of sleep every night, you know, set your, um, you know, set, set your, set your clock based on getting that seven or eight hours of sleep, um, and make that, make that a priority. And then I think the other third, um, the third factor that I mentioned was supplements. And I think this is also a really big one for people. And it maybe is even the most surprising component because there's a lot of confusion about supplements and it can be really overwhelming to sort through because as you know, Steph, I mean, there's just so many different types of supplements out there. I mean, people don't even know where to start sometimes when it comes to those. Yeah, totally. Mm. And something that we see with our clients is sometimes they end up taking supplements that they think are helping that are actually hurting them, um, which can be really, really heartbreaking um, because supplements can boost your metabolism, but only if they're the right ones. So there's a lot of different you know, regulation standards. And over here in the States, what we want to look for is supplements that are pharmaceutical grade because there's not even, um, most of the supplements on shelves don't even have to go through an FDA approval process. So when it comes to supplements, you just want to make sure that you, you know, that you're, you know, of the quality, and then it can also help to make sure you're not just blindly taking supplements either, and that you actually have a good plan in place. And that's where it can help to work with either, you know, a functional medicine practitioner, um, a dietitian, or some type of coach to help you figure out a really good plan so that you're, you're, you're taking supplements, you know, with a purpose in mind. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's really important that the client knows what they're taking and why rather than it just being, you know, this huge 
expense and really a quite a low understanding as to what those supplements are aiming to achieve. Totally, definitely, yeah. Yeah, excellent. All right, so that's certainly a really great place for people to start their transition away from just looking at the calories in and the calories out. Um, What are some other common misconceptions or myths that you see quite commonly with your clients or certainly the audiences that you interact with? You know, I think I think fat is a big one because we always tell our clients to try to eat more fat and a good goal would be at least a couple tablespoons every single time they eat. I'm talking about good healthy fats like avocado, coconut oil, coconut milk, olive oil, olives. Um, if you don't have a food sensitivity, some other options would be butter, you know, nuts, seeds, nut and seed butters, cheese, even heavy cream. And, you know, it, it can I can understand that eating fat to lose fat or eating fat to boost your metabolism, it really goes against everything we've been taught about weight loss for so long. But the reality is, and the research shows that we actually need healthy fats for our metabolism to work properly. Um, And the way that it works, the way I like to explain it so people can really kind of get this visual and understand how how this happens is when you eat healthy fat, it boosts your metabolism because fat acts as a buffer for the sugar that you consume. So obviously when you consume sugar or actually when you consume carbohydrates as well, because all carbohydrates hydrates turn to sugar in your bloodstream, that raises your blood sugar. And you want your blood sugar levels to be nice and stable. That's what's going to help you have consistent energy levels and brain power. And um, it's going to help you maintain your weight or lose weight because it helps to release this turbo um, fat burning hormone called glucagon. And the way that fat helps with this is it helps to kind of act as a buffer and slow down the assimilation and the absorption of any sugar that you're consuming in your bloodstream. So that helps to promote these stable blood sugar levels that are required for a boosted metabolism um, and allows your body to release that hormone called glucagon that burns fat for energy. So the key is finding healthy fats that work for you and then eating more of them. So like I said, generally, I'll tell people to start by adding just a couple of tablespoons of fat every time they eat. Um, That might be adding coconut milk to a smoothie or sliced avocado or olives to a salad or maybe a big spoonful of coconut oil or butter in your coffee. Um, It doesn't have to be a lot of healthy fat, but generally we tend to eat low fat if we're not focusing on adding in these healthy fats. And this simple little step can make a huge difference um, just because fat just has so much to do with your brain power and your energy levels and your metabolism. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of the foods that we've been, um, I guess, made to be afraid of for so long. So for a lot of people, it is uh-huh. a real, it's a barrier. They end up eating without really realizing probably low carbohydrate and low fat now. Um, and yes. that can really, yes. really cause a lot of problems. Well, and yeah, I'm glad that you said that stuff also because um, I like to add before I take away. And that's one thing I love about adding fat is it helps keep you away from sugar and it keeps you full and it helps you think more clearly and it supports your waistline. So if you're someone who struggles with, you know, a sweet tooth like I always did, it's easy to just say stay away from sugar, but it's actually a lot easier when you're adding in something like healthy fat, which in turn can also keep you away from the sugar. 
And like you said, Steph, we've been thinking about fat and a negative light for so long. And I think one of the reasons is it's it's the most calorie dense macronutrients, your three macronutrients, you've got protein, fat and carbs, fat is, you know, has the most calories, it has nine calories per gram, and protein and carbs only have four calories per gram. So diets that focus on counting calories are almost always high in carbohydrates and low in fat. And then like you mentioned, stuff, people will start to go on, a, you know, low carb diet, and suddenly they're eating low, low carb, low fat, and it's just this recipe for disaster and they wonder why they don't have any energy at all um, so f- increasing your fat is a really really great starting point yeah I love that and adding before you take away absolutely um, yes what advice do you give your clients on their carbohydrates you know with carbohydrates it is such a um, it, it's just not a one-size-fits-all situation so you've really got to find what works for you and a good starting point um, for carbohydrates I usually recommend trying with you can have non-starchy carbohydrates pretty much um, as much as you want so your non-starchies are going to be like your salad vegetables your broccoli cauliflower spinach cabbage kale peppers green beans cucumber asparagus um, these hardly raise your blood sugar at all so I always tell people if you want to add more more food add some of those non-starchy carbohydrates Carbohydrates. Now, for the starchy carbohydrates um, like corn, peas, beets, squash, yams, sweet potato, plantains, these are denser and they have a greater effect on your blood sugar levels. So, a kind of a good rule of thumb is um, every time you eat, you want to kind of stick to having about a half of a cup of those. So that might be half of a sweet potato or um, half of a you know cup of peas or corn, and that's a starting point. For some people, they're going to need to have more than that. Especially athletes um, are going to need a, a lot more than that, especially on the days that they're doing more of the endurance type of workouts. At least that's what we recommend and find works really well for our clients. And then also for fruit as well, you want to stick to maybe like around a half of a cup. So there's those two categories, starchy starchy veggies and fruit are kind of in one category and then the non-starchies are in the other. But the thing is, I mean, it is very, very, um, very, very personalized. So it can take some time to kind of figure out your carbohydrate sweet spot. So your goal is that, you know, you want to feel great during the day. But we find for some of our clients that when they go too low carb, they're hungry all the time. They have massive sugar cravings. And for some people, even having a half a cup, you know, is, isn't going to be enough for them. So they're going to have to have more, maybe especially on the days they're active. Um, so, you know, carb sensitivity, it varies from person to person. But I recommend and experimenting, kind of using that half cup um, starchy and then unlimited non-starchy as a starting point. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to clarify though because, again, in that calories in, calories out, we were definitely looking at a very black and white approach to nutrition, which we know can't possibly be true yes. because everyone's physiology is so different. So I love that you teach your clients that because, you know, we do the same thing. We obviously talk about, you know, eating lower carbohydrate than the food pyramid, of course, because that's a very good thing, um, but that everyone sits on a sliding scale depending on things like genetics, activity, um, obviously underlying food intolerances, etc. So, yeah, that's a really, really awesome place for people to start. Well, and the thing is when you're adding in healthy fat, if you're adding in a couple tablespoons of healthy fat at all of your meals and snacks, you're automatically going to be eating lower carbohydrate because the problem with that food pyramid is when they slash, you know, fat and they cut out the fat, we've got to eat something and, you know, protein, most of us aren't going to be eating, you know, a, a lot more protein. There's kind of like a maximum protein that people can eat. So they automatically just eat higher amount of carbs. It's kind of like when your, you know, your fat ratio goes down, your carbs go up. So that is why it's important to add in the healthy 
healthy fat, you're generally going to be eating, um, you know, a few fewer carbohydrates. And the other thing that I do want to mention is you might have noticed when I was talking about carbohydrates, I didn't mention you know, bread, pasta, rice, anything like that. And I I recommend focusing on those colorful fruit and veggie um, carbohydrates. And I I know it can take some time and reprogramming of, you know, your brain to switch from thinking of carbs as exclusively bread, rice, pasta. Um, But I do encourage trying to get almost all of your carbohydrates from veggies and fruits because they have so many more nutrients and antioxidants and generally, you know, a far smaller impact on your blood sugar levels. They really give you a bigger bang for your buck, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And obviously, we're looking at nutrient density as our number one priority. Yeah. And I think one of the most widely accepted and, you know, greatest nutritional misconceptions is probably that grains like bread, pasta, rice and cereal are healthy. I mean, they've been the base for our food pyramid and the staple foundation of our plate for years. And, um, you know, despite the fact that it's been ingrained, pun intended, in our heads that they're healthy, grains can really bring you further from from your energy goals, workout goals, weight loss goals. We see this happen all the time um, with clients. So when I think of grains, I think of like huge piles of sugar because really in your body, that's exactly what they turn into is a lot of sugar um, and they spike our blood sugar so much. And then the problem is they elicit that insulin response, that's that fat storing hormone, so much more than real food carbohydrates like vegetables and and even most fruits. So I recommend just staying away from those. I mean, usually when our clients are talking about something like bread, that they're kind of afraid to give it up. Um, When we think of it as big piles of sugar in our body, I mean, they'd rather have a piece of chocolate cake or a cookie on occasion um, when they, but but the problem is we've been told that, you know, bread is a healthy thing, but it's it's really not much different than just eating um, crackers and cookies all day long. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's usually one of the hardest foods to break away from. You know, obviously it can be relatively low calorie. So it again mm-hmm. comes from those days where a low calorie diet is almost always super high in carbohydrates. And then on top of that, a very convenient society where we've gotten, or at least we were, very lazy with our food. So we were relying on things in packets or boxes far too much. Yeah, definitely. Just keep it simple and keep the focus on real food as much as possible. You know, your quality proteins, your meat, your fish, your eggs, your good fats, avocado, olives, those nut butters, seeds, and then, you know, real food carbohydrates, the fruits and the veggies. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Very much on the same page. All right. So what about um, any other surprises when it comes to optimizing health and wellness or any other um, tips in regards to supercharging our metabolisms? Well, something else that I recommend that is usually a huge surprise for our clients when it comes to boosting their metabolisms is I recommend having a bedtime snack. And I think that we've been misled for far too long that a bedtime snack is a sin. You know, we've been told, just like a lot of other nutrition misconceptions, we've been told that eating before bed will just make you fat because it provides unnecessary calories. And we've, you know, some people have heard you shouldn't eat after, you know, four o'clock, five o'clock, eight o'clock. And these are just, you know, widespread, well-known total myths. Um, It is true that satisfying your sweet tooth with a sugary snack before bed, you know, having ice cream or cereal or something like that can definitely pack on the pounds and slow down your metabolism. But not all snacks are created equal. So if you have the right type of bedtime snack, that'll actually support you in sleeping really well and then also boosting your metabolism. So this, you know, having a bedtime snack, it's been a lifesaver for so many of our clients when it comes to their energy levels and their waistline. 
So the type of snacks that I recommend before bed, this is actually the only time I don't recommend having protein. Um, You can have protein if it works for you, but what we find is because protein boosts your metabolism so much, protein can actually boost your metabolism up to 35% for the two to three hours after you eat it. So because of that, if you have protein right before bed, it could interfere with your sleep. And I mentioned earlier how important it is to make sure you're getting plenty of sleep for every area of your life. So um, the point of the bedtime snack is to help you sleep and then also to keep your blood sugar levels stable while you sleep. And that's how it supports your metabolism. So I recommend having a couple tablespoons of healthy fat and, you know, that half a cup of carbohydrate, kind of like I was talking about earlier with the serving sizes for carbohydrates. So some of my favorite bedtime snacks would be a small apple with a couple tablespoons of almond butter, or I'll saute half of a sweet potato on the stove and just a couple tablespoons of butter. Or you could use coconut oil. Um, I also like to do the same thing with a pear. I'll take a small pear or if it's a huge pear, I'll take like half of it. And I'll saute it in coconut oil and I'll top it with a tablespoon or so of heavy cream and some cinnamon and a couple walnuts. Um, if you if you don't want to cook something, you could just have a handful of nuts and like a handful of berries or grapes. So just a few options for um for a bedtime snack. So so that that whole myth, you know, it is a myth that the bedtime snack, it's not unnecessary calories. How it works is it comes down to that blood sugar stabilization. Um, your blood sugars start to drop after your last meal of the day. So if that's dinner and that was maybe three or four hours before you go to bed, your blood sugar levels are dropping and then you're entering sleep with low blood sugar levels. And a lot of times when people wake up in the middle of the night, they think it's because, you know, maybe they woke up from a dream or because they have to go to the bathroom. But a lot of times it's because their blood sugar levels plummet in the middle of the night and they woke up due to low blood sugar levels. So the bedtime snack, it just slightly raises your blood sugar levels and brings them back to normal range so that it promotes, you know, stable blood sugars all night long. So basically you're a fat burning machine while you sleep. And then also you're getting that high quality sleep that we talked about that needs to happen in order for you to feel great the next day and also support your metabolism. So what sort of a client would you recommend this to? Really anyone. I mean, our clients who are athletes, I recommend this too, because a lot of times they'll um, wake up the next morning and they'll be super hungry. And if they're going into a workout the next morning, that's not a good thing. And if they um, worked out in the evening the night before, they also want to have a bedtime snack too, to make sure they're getting in the energy to replenish um, what they lost during that workout. Um, for our weight loss clients, I recommend, recommend a bedtime snack because having the bedtime snack stabilizes your blood sugar levels, which helps glucagon, your fat burning hormone to come out while you're sleeping. Um, for someone that just wants to have more energy, energy or more brain power or more focus during the work the work day I recommend having a bedtime snack pretty much anyone interesting that's certainly something that we would you know not necessarily recommend but I can appreciate the science behind it so um, something that you know I guess would be trial and error for someone that hasn't been eating late to start yeah it, it's, it is definitely about finding what works best for you. Um, and what I've found works best for most of our clients is just having something small, you know, 15 minutes to a half hour before bed. Doesn't Definitely doesn't need to be something big, um, but just the idea would be to raise your blood sugar levels back into that normal range and then to kind of keep them there while you're sleeping. But of course, you know, we've I've definitely seen clients who have said it, it doesn't work for me. I can't lay down a half hour after eating. You know, it, it, that interferes with my sleep because I kind of get gut rot. And if that's the case, that defeats the whole purpose. So, you know, you'd want to stay away from it in a, in a scenario like that. But yeah, it definitely just goes back to listening to your own body and, you know, listening to these sorts of strategies and then trying them in your own life, doing some experimenting and finding out what works for you. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. All right. Um, so let's give, let's give our listeners one action step 
to take away from today's interview. Um, and then, yeah, we'll wrap things up and get them to find out more about you and your online home. Great. Thank you. Um, I think the one action step, and I mentioned this, but I think it's important enough to mention again is, is to add in healthy fat. So if you're not, if you're not eating fat, or if it's just not something that you think about, maybe, maybe you're thinking, well, the foods that I eat generally have fat, you know, I don't buy lean meat, I've got fat in there, I would actually recommend having a couple tablespoons of added fat every time you eat. So you know, a couple tablespoons of nuts or seeds or um, a little extra butter or coconut oil, I recommend trying that and trying it at every meal for, you know, a few days, maybe even a week and see how you feel. That would be my challenge to you because um, sometimes, you know, we, we think we're doing something, but unless we're being intentional, we're really not. So just try this and, and see how you feel. And usually our clients report within a couple days or even the day of that they feel so much better when they're making sure they're adding in that healthy fat. And if you have sugar cravings, that's going to be the first step to taking away those sugar cravings as well as adding in more fat. Yeah, amazing. Beautiful. All right. Please direct our listeners to where they can find out more about you online. Thanks, Steph. Well, dietitiancassie.com is where the party starts. And we covered quite a few metabolism boosting tips today. And if you head over to dietitiancassie.com, you can grab my free guide that I put together with 5.5 metabolism boosters. And there's a, definitely a few in there that I didn't have time to cover today. So head over there and grab that free guide. Amazing. So we'll pop all those links in the show notes, team. So make sure you do um, head there now. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Cassie. It was awesome to chat with you. Thanks, Steph. I really appreciate it. It was great chatting with you too. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.